this morning. We're very honored to have Scott Scott Dawson and his wife Carol with us as we welcome you. They have two children that are not children anymore. Hunter, age 22, and Hope, age 18. And I think Hunter's got a birthday this week, so I think they'll be celebrating that later today. We welcome him. Scott, I don't guess there's hardly anybody in the state that don't know you and your ministry and the many years it has touched our state and the lives of so many. We're very privileged. We appreciate Taylor getting you to come and be with us, and and, uh, we appreciate your opportunity to come and touch our hearts this morning. So, folks, let's welcome Brother Scott as he comes to us. All right. Thank you, Pastor. Thank you so much. Man, it is a joy to be here with you guys on Champion Sunday. Uh, I feel like I know your church. You guys have been to some of our student conferences in the past, and thank you for uh, trusting us with them uh, up in the Smoky Mountain region during the holiday weekend. Then we've also done some uh, senior adult conferences, so we kind of get them both ends of the spectrum. There's not a lot of difference between a student conference and a senior adult conference. Not not much. The one difference is that a student conference, we're going to bed at 4 a.m., and a senior adult conference... They're getting up at 4 a.m., you know, they're trying to find their coffee, and uh, we, were, we were doing one, and I had a lady walk up to me in the middle of a break, and, and here's how she, I don't know if you know this, but sometimes senior adults will just tell you what's on their mind. I mean, they just will not uh, go around the bush, and she came right at me. She said, Scott, I'm 70 years of age. I've never been married, but I haven't given up yet. And I thought, wow, I love the spunk. And she went on to tell me that every night she's praying for a man. In fact, every night before she goes to bed, she hangs a pair of men's trousers on her closet door, gets down on her knees at 70 years of age and prays a prayer for God to bring a man into her life. I I had her write it down. Listen to the prayer she prays. She says, Father, hear my prayer. Grant it if you can. I've hung a pair of trousers here. Please fill them with a man. Amen. And then she goes to bed. Is that not awesome? I'm just, don't give up. Don't just don't give up. And uh, so, and that what they tell you before the game. Don't give up. This girl hadn't given up. And it is a joy to be here with you. And uh, if you got your Bibles, turn with me to Galatians chapter six. And as you're turning there, as I was thinking about Champion Sunday, and we all want to be a champion. I thought about the champion of, uh, of the faith, and one of those. Uh, champions would be that of the Apostle Paul. I don't know if you know anything about the Apostle Paul, but uh, when he was uh, born, he was called Saul. In fact, if you were to read some parts of the New Testament, they would call him Saul of Tarsus because that's where he was from. And Saul of Tarsus wasn't really a strong Christian. In fact, if you were to stand up and say, I profess Jesus Christ my Lord, at the very least, he'd throw you in prison. And he had, he had enough authority that if he was really mad at you, he would just have you killed right there on the, at the moment. So you didn't mess with it. Now listen, you didn't mess with this guy named Saul. He was, he was a bad man. And he was going to a place called Damascus to persecute more Christians. And on the road to Damascus, something happened to him. He met Jesus. He, he didn't meet someone who knew Jesus. He didn't hear more about Jesus. He met Jesus. And when Jesus entered inside of Saul's life, Jesus became so much more than just an addition to his life. Jesus became the transformation of his life. And all of a sudden, he knew he had experienced the real thing. And so to to give evidence of the experience he walked through, he even had to change his name. He changed his name to Paul. 
And if you were to go home and if you were to take your Bible and skim through the New Testament, you know what you would discover? You would discover a majority of the books of the New Testament were penned by this man named Paul. The guy who wrote more books of the Bible through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit than any other person. You'd have to say that's a champion. And one thing I love about the Apostle Paul is he was a missionary. He was always trying to get more people on the team, God's team. And he was going to a place called Galatia. And Galatia, as he got there, he started sharing the gospel. And as he shared the gospel, people started receiving Christ. And the church was birthed and they were growing. In fact, at one point in the book of Galatians, he would say, you received the word so warmly that the church was bustling and growing so much, Paul went on in his missionary journeys. He had more, more people to tell the gospel to. So as Paul left, another group came in. And the other group was called Judaizers. Now let me just tell you this. Judaizers were saying Paul almost had it right. you, you got to have Jesus, but Paul left something out. And they were confusing people because they were saying it's Jesus plus a ritual you have to go through in order to achieve salvation. Now, this was causing confusion. You know, just how it would be if you were getting two different directions that everyone was confused. And the Apostle Paul got wind of what was going on in Galatia. And that's how we got the book of Galatians. Paul is writing a letter back to the church in Galatia saying, listen, it is Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. So if you were to take the time to study the book of Galatians, you would find that Paul has given us the account of our salvation is found in none other than Jesus Christ. And at the very end of Galatians chapter 6, I want you to look down in one verse of scripture. I want you to look down in verse 17 and listen to what Paul says. You can almost hear the, the emotion come out in him when he says in verse 17, From now on, let no one trouble me. Now listen to what he says, I, I don't want to hear about this anymore, case closed, the door is shut, and then he says this evidence is, for I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. Now that word marks is the original language is the word stigmata. Now uh, basically the word mark would be in our vocabulary today would be like if we had a, 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 a soldier up here, a, a uniformed soldier and they had the chevron stripes on their sleeves. That, that would be the, the, the same type of terminology but in Paul's day it is much deeper than that. It's not a tattoo, okay? It is a branding. It'd be like if you were branding cattle. That is what Paul is basically saying. I bear in my body the marks of the Lord. I've been branded. And so now people say, is he talking about being stoned and, and, and whipped for the cause of Christ? Or is he talking about how he's been transformed from the inside out? To me, ladies and gentlemen, it's not either or. It's both and. Paul is going, man, I bear in my body the marks of Jesus in that he has transformed me. But I've also walked through the trials, through the battles of life, and I bear on my body the marks of the Lord Jesus Christ. So here's my question for us this morning. In this Champion Sunday, what are the marks we're going to have to have to be a champion for Christ? If you're sitting here this morning going, man, how, how can I really make the most out of life? I've never met anyone who didn't want their life to count. Doesn't matter your age, your gender, your, your sports ability, every one of us in this room, we want our life to count. 
So I'm basically going to tell you how to be a champion this morning. And I want you to keep your Bible open. And we're going to go through God's word and for us to discover it. So I want you to look down in verse 1. Listen to what Paul says. He says in the middle of verse 1, If a person is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual restore such a one. If you have a pen or a pencil, I want you to underline that word spiritual, okay? Because the first mark that's going to be in our life is that going to be that of being spiritual. And when I say spiritual in America in 2017, everybody's trying to refer back to a Dr. Oz, you know, philosophy or Dr. Phil mentality. But can I just tell you that some, that term spiritual has been hijacked from, this, uh, from us in this world. Spiritual is actually a scriptural term. In fact, you know what we find? Do you know that every one of us in this room is only in one of three conditions of mankind? Only one. You can't be in two. You can only be in one. The, the, the first condition of mankind is that of a natural man, a natural woman. You know what that is? That, that's how we're born into this world. The Bible says that when we're birthed, we're, we're born as a natural person. And, and that just means we live in a fallen creation. Because every one of us has got one thing in, in common. You may not know me, I may not know you, but we've got one thing in common. <laughs> we've all sinned. The Bible says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. If you don't believe me, I'm going to ask you a question. If you've ever told a lie in your entire life, not just today, it's Sunday, okay? But if you've ever told a lie in your entire life, would you just raise your hand right now? Just raise it up, raise it up, keep it up, keep it up. I want you to look around the room right now. Look around the room, look around the room. Do you see all the liars who came to church this morning? Yeah, you're, you're not the only one. We're all in this together. You can put your hand down. By the way, if you didn't raise your hand, you just told a lie right then, didn't you? I mean, isn't that weird to us? When we are birthed from our mother's womb, we come into this world knowing how to be bad. We, as parents, we don't teach our kids how to be bad. That comes natural. I, I've been preaching since I was a teenager, speaking in churches across the state. And I'm telling you, I used to have a sermon entitled, Ten Surefire Ways to Raise Godly Kids. That was before I was married and before we had kids. I've now switched that sermon to three suggestions that may or may not work. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's something different between theory and reality. When they're yours, wow, okay? But that's what I'm talking about. Everyone, look, we're all in this together. We're just all sinners. Now, sin was not created in a factory in Chicago in 1947. You know, sin, you have to go all the way back to the Garden of Eden. You may be sitting here going, how did, we, how did this happen? You go back to the Garden of Eden, and what happened in the Garden of Eden still impacts us today. Because the woman, Eve, was deceived. But the man, Adam, deliberately disobeyed. Catch this. Because of that sin, we have been separated from a holy God. Now, guys, don't get me wrong. I, I, I know he's loving, and I, I know he's forgiving. And, man, I love to preach about that. But you know what? I never open up my Bible and hear where it says three times he is loving, loving, loving. You may read your Bible, but you'll never find three times where it says he's forgiving, forgiving, forgiving. But you know what you do read? He is holy, holy, holy. Three times. That's, that's, you can't just sweep that under the carpet. So when you think about God's holiness, you know what that means? Let me give you a definition of absolute perfection. So God in his absolute perfection, we have separated ourselves from him because of our sin. And you could be sitting there going, man, are you talking about we're in this situation called some old boy named Adam? Well, we are, but none of us can blame Adam. You know why? <laughs> We've already raised our hands. 
We, we've chosen to rebel. You did, I did, we've rebelled against God. So God is over there, I'm over here, I can't come to God even on my best day. But you know what is a good message on Champion Sunday? Listen, when we couldn't go to him, he came to us. The Bible says, but God demonstrates his love towards us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He did something for you you could not do for yourself. He did something for me I could not do for myself. He paid the penalty for my sin. You see, that's the message of the gospel. And apart from him, the Bible says we're a natural man, a natural woman. That just means you, you're apart from God. Now, Paul gives us another term. He, he says not only is there a natural man, there's also a carnal man or a carnal lady. And, and for the sake of time, let me just define that. Uh, a carnal person, um, let, let me contextualize, contextualize it to uh, the United States. A carnal person is someone who says, I know Jesus, but then they live like they really don't. Jesus says it like this, with their, with their lips they praise me, but their hearts are far away. You see, that's the carnal person. And then there's the spiritual person. You know who the spiritual person is. It's what Paul says here. If you are spiritual, you're going to restore such one. You know who a spiritual person is? We're almost scared of that term, spiritual. Oh, no, what is that? Yeah, a spiritual person is someone who knows Jesus. That means you're in this room and Jesus has, has changed your life. You've got a relationship with him. And I, I know then everybody goes, well, wait a minute. No one's per I don't know if I'm spiritual. No one's perfect. I get that. I get no one's perfect. But you know what I would tell you? If you're in this room and you know Jesus personally, you know what happened in my life when Jesus came into my life? He presents me pure and blameless before God the Father. Because he paid the penalty for my sin. That means in my Father's eyes, in your Father's eyes, you're perfect if you know Jesus. Now, as I'm on this relationship with him in this on this planet... I must decrease, he must increase, so you know what? Every day I'm becoming more like Jesus. That means I should be more like Jesus today than I was a couple of years ago, and a couple of years from now should be more like Jesus then than I am today. You, you see, here's the deal. Those of us who are spiritual, you don't meet Jesus and get over him. There's nothing else to go to. Jesus encompasses it all. There's a, there's, a, there's a Russian proverb, and I know in America we don't want to talk about Russia too much. But anyway, there's a, there's a Russian proverb, 200 years of age. You know what it, sa it says this? Those who've been infected with the disease of Jesus will never be cured. Now listen, those of us who've been infected with Jesus will never be cured. I thought about that statement. I was going to go do a uh, mission trip, and I was going to a place that had some uh, revolution going on, and so it really, uh, the hygiene wasn't really there, and so they told me I needed to get some uh, vaccinations, and, and uh, so I did. I, I, I wasn't going to argue with them. I wasn't going to catch what they told me I was going to catch, so I showed up at the doctor's office, and I wish I could tell you this was planned, but it happened just like this. I was sitting in his office. He was about to give me a shot, and I stopped him, and I said, Bert, what are you about to do to me? And I'll never forget this. He kind of stopped. He tilted his head back, and he started chuckling, and here's what he said. He said, well, I'm actually about to, this one, he said, I'm about to give you the disease. But, but he said, don't worry, I'm just going to give you enough to where your system can build a defense against it and you'll never become infected. And at that moment, it just galvanized. 
Ladies and gentlemen, look right up here. If you're not careful in America, in the southeast, and I'm going to bring it home, in Alabama, the buckle of the Bible belt, if you're not careful, you won't be infected with Jesus. You'll just be vaccinated against Jesus. You'll get just enough of him in your system to where you can build a defense against him. Man, you, you can come and you can, you can listen to the, to the worship. You can sing the song because they're uplifting songs and they're talented. Hey, you, you, phenomenal job. I mean, you're, God's got his hand on you, brother. So, I, I mean, you listen and you go, wow, that's a pretty talented part. And you'll listen to the sermons. You can sit through the sermons as long as, you know, there's a couple of jokes and they don't last too long, you know. And, and you're sitting there going, well, how do I know if I'm, if I'm natural, if I'm, if I'm carnal, or if I'm spiritual? Right now, on this day, it's about 1144. Look at me. You can only pick one. Where, I can't answer it for you. Your parents can't answer it for you. Your children can't answer it for you. Are you the natural person? Are you the carnal person? Or are you the spiritual person? If you're going to be a champion in the kingdom of God, you're going to know Jesus. That's the first mark, okay? Now let's give you the second mark of a champion. I want you to go down to verse 3. Uh, listen to what Paul says here. He says, For if anyone thinks himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Now, I want you to, if you can put it in your mind, how these marks build on one another. The foundation is when you have that faith in Christ. The next step, the next level, is when you live a state of humility. Paul says, for you think yourself to be something when you're nothing, you deceive yourself. Because we know that word pride. God, God hates pride. It, it says he resists the pride. He gives uh, proud. He gives grace to the humble. In fact, we've heard it all of our life. Uh, pride comes before what? A fall. We've heard that all of our life. I, 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 I've heard that so much, I went back and went, I want to check that thing out. Does that, is that what it, Proverbs 16, 18. I don't know if you've ever read it. Here's what it says. You don't have to turn there. It says, a haughty spirit comes before a fall. And I thought, haughty spirit. I tried to figure out what a haughty spirit is. I looked it up. You know what a haughty spirit is? It's when you just think too much of yourself for a moment, for a season, if you will. It's um, If I were talking to you, it's just when you have too much swag, okay? And somebody's got to bring you back into reality and go, hey, you're not all that hot, okay? It's a reality check. One of my favorite stories about that would be Muhammad Ali. I, I, Muhammad Ali, greatest boxer to have ever lived. After he won the Thriller in Manila, the story goes that he got on the plane. He had his heavyweight championship belt around his waist. He was parading around. The stewardess came up to him and said, Sir, please sit down, put your seatbelt on, we're about to take off. To which Muhammad Ali quipped, Superman doesn't need a seatbelt. To which the stewardess replied, Superman doesn't need an airplane, okay? Sit down, put your seatbelt, let's get out of here, all right? So it was just a reality check for, for Muhammad Ali. We've all been, every one of us in this room, you've been there when you just need a reality check. That's a haughty spirit, it comes before fall. But here's what scripture says. Pride comes before destruction. Now, destruction, that's when your life unravels before your eyes. It's when a person gets to the point where they're no longer willing to receive counsel. They're not taking anyone else's advice. They're bent on doing it their own way. And the Bible says when you get to that point, man, life just unravels. 
Because, you know, there's two forms of pride. There's arrogance. We see that coming, and man, we just detest arrogance. I mean, we have little small groups about how we just don't like arrogance. Can I tell you something that's just as dangerous? It's the second form of pride. It's not just arrogance. It's false humility. It's, it's when I'm humble and proud of it. It's, it's when I know the terminology to be able to go into a situation and I can deflect all the attention back to myself. Now, guys, I want you to listen to this principle. As you study scripture, here's what you're going to find. God is such a gracious God, he will share his possessions with us. God is so loving, he will share his people with us. But God will never share his glory with us. See, I've come to realize, you know what my biggest problem is about being a champion? Is me. I just stand in the way. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try something here. It may come across wrong, but I'm going to try this. Has anyone seen the movie Courageous? Has anyone ever seen the movie Courageous? Okay, several of you have. It's a movie that came out several years ago. I'm, I'm in that movie, and I know that probably comes across weird. Oh, you're talking about humility, and now you're bragging you're in a movie. Well, just stick with me, okay? Um, I, though I wasn't supposed to be in the movie. I was there doing a devotional for the crew, and I was about to walk out, and the, and the executive producer yelled out to me and said, Scott, do you want to be in the movie? And you know what I did. I went, yes, sir, I do. You know, a star is born. And, and so I, I went to wardrobe, I, I went to makeup, and um, I was in the critical scene of the movie. It was when the bad cop is arrested. The good cops rush in and found out that a, a uniformed soldier uh, officer would never arrest another uniformed officer, so they had to have something called internal affairs, and I was the only one that could fit in the suit, so that's how I got the part, and they invited us. We were there at the Fox Theater in Atlanta to see the premiere, and I knew when the scene was coming up, and I was just kind of elbowing my wife. Here it goes, here it goes, here it goes, here it goes. This is my scene, and, and you're saying, I've seen the movie. You're not in the movie. I know, because all you can see is the back of my head. That's the only thing you can see the entire movie is the back of my head nine hours of filming and I'll never forget this a good friend of mine after he saw it he said Dawson you're not in that movie you're just a glorified extra that's all you are is a glorified extra and the Lord taught me something and can I just reveal it to you this morning here's the deal if I'm going to be a champion for the cause of Christ you know what has to happen when Jesus comes into my life I have to step out of the limelight he's the leading man all I am is a glorified extra in this thing called life so could it be that someone who's here this morning down deep inside you know the only thing that's keeping you from where God wants you to be is yourself to remove yourself from that equation and go life's too short to only live just for me man what's life about make life count understand you got to know Jesus then you live a life of humility, understanding you're not going to think of yourself something because, man, I'm just a glorified extra in this thing. Let me give you the third mark of a champion, okay? Would you go down to verse 9 of Galatians chapter 6? It's the law of sowing and reaping. And I love how Paul ends it up here. He says, and let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Now, I'm going to... I'm, I, I don't ever want to come across as a motivational speaker behind God's sacred pulpit. But I'm going to give you a word this morning to somebody in this room. Don't give up. 
don't give up. Third mark, if you're going to be a champion, is persistence. Paul says, and let us not grow weary while doing good. For in due season, we're going to reap if we don't lose heart. Don't give up. Don't give up on your family. Don't give up on your parents. Don't give up on your kids. Don't give up on your neighbors. Don't give up on your city. Don't give up on your county. Don't give up on your state. Don't give up on your country. And let's not give up on this world. If we're going to be a champion for the cause of Christ, nothing can stop us. In fact, if you really want to know something, if I were speaking before the game, I would tell you this. The depth of your commitment is determined by what it will take to stop you. The depth of your commitment is determined by what it will take to stop you. Speaking to a lot of students right here. If you graduate, go off to college, go into life, I want to ask you this question. What would it take for you to stop following Jesus? What would it I don't answer out loud, but just think about it. What would it take for you to stop following Jesus? Sir, ma'am? What would it I think we better start asking that question because evidently people are just leaving in droves across our country from the faith. And I went, you know what, we better start asking. And, and, and guys, I hope your answer is nothing. You need to make that commitment now to say it does not matter what happens to my life because I can't stand up here. No one can stand up here and guarantee you that something will not go on in your life. In fact, you got to think about it like this. Remember what we talked about in the Garden of Eden? I said it still impacts our world today. Do you know what Scripture says? Because of what happened in the Garden of Eden, creation moans because of the fall. That means stuff happens. I'm not standing up here this morning saying if you've gone through cancer or if you've had an accident or an injury, God's mad at you and he's trying to get back at you. That's not what I'm saying at all. I'm saying because we live in a fallen creation, stuff happens. But that doesn't put a condition in our relationship with Christ. He didn't meet you in a salvation bargaining room and negotiate saying, I'll give you salvation if, if, and I'll let you keep uh, uh, this part of your life or that part of your life. No, no, no. The Bible teaches us we come to him under his terms, under his provisions, or we don't come at all. And if you're going, man, you don't know what's going on with me. Let me just tell you one thing. Look right up here. There's been only one perfect person in this entire universe, Jesus if anyone should have gotten out of here without any problems, it should have been him. But the Bible says, listen to how it, the Bible describes Jesus. A man of sorrow, acquainted with grief. If Jesus didn't get out of here without any problems, how dare I raise my hand and say, hey God, that's a little unfair to me. I, I mean, I can't stand up here and say that something will not go wrong in your life. But when it does, man, you put your faith in Christ, not in your circumstances. You keep going on. Paul says we will reap if we do not lose heart. I want you to hear about the man who just said that statement. He is a man that's been trying to tell the world about Jesus since Jesus came into his life. And all they were trying to do is stop him. They'd say, man, I'm going to tell you about Jesus. And they'd say, Paul, if you don't, tell, if you don't be quiet, we're going to stone you. And Paul says, well, go ahead and get the rocks. Start throwing. They say, Paul, if you don't be quiet about the gospel, we're going to beat you. And Paul says, well, go ahead and strip me down in the back. You're going to give me the cat of nine tails. Somebody says, Paul, if you don't be quiet about the gospel, we're going to throw you in jail. And Paul just says, well, if you do, could you throw me down there in Rome? Because there's a lot of prisoners down in Rome and they need Jesus. And finally, somebody comes up with a brilliant idea and says, Paul, if you don't be quiet about the gospel, we're going to kill you. And Paul says, would you? 
To be absent from the body is to be present with, to live is Christ, but to die is, if this sounds weird to y'all, I want you to understand biblical Christianity is this, once I get Jesus, there's nothing else to get. The rest of my life's about giving him away, making an impact wherever I go, whatever I do, however I try it, it's because it's all about him and not about me. The depth of your commitment will always be determined by what it will take to stop you. So if you're going to be a champion, you're going to keep going into this thing. The first mark is going to be that of knowing Jesus. The second mark is going to be living a life of humility. The third step or the third mark is going to be that of persistence. Don't, listen, don't give up. Let me give you the fourth mark and I'm done. Sorry. I, uh, well, let me just give you the fourth mark. You'll understand why I'm sharing this. Look down in verse 14. Listen to what Paul says. But God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. The fourth mark you're going to have, write it down, passion. Passion. And, and I, I, I mean, look, I, growing up, I used to think the people that were more expressive had to be more passionate. They were, no, just some of us drink too much caffeine, okay? So it, it's not about a, a personality. Some of us are just more high strung. You know what your passion is? Everybody says, all oh, these students, they don't have any passion. Man, you got plenty of passion. You know how you can determine your passion? What do you talk about? What do you live for? And what are you willing to spend money about? That's how you can tell your passion. I, I travel, and uh, some parts of our country, they don't even know Alabama's a state. They're still learning that, okay? But they do know we have one thing. What is it? Football. Oh my gosh, yesterday was, was worship day for so many, either in Fayetteville or over in Tuscaloosa. It happens every year. I mean, we live for, I did some investigation to find out, all right, what caused all this? The first college football game ever recorded was in 1869. The two teams were Princeton versus Rutgers. There's estimated crowd of 100 people who showed up at that game. <laughs> Ironically, if those two teams played yesterday, they'd probably have the same attendance. But that's a different story. That, that's a different story, okay? But 100 people showed up. Yeah, yeah last night, they, I was watching the Penn State-Michigan game. They set a record. 110,000 people showed up for a football game. That's our passion. Man, we, 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 what's your passion? We get on to those fanatical college football fans, and everybody goes, go get them. But what if I were to talk about your sport, your hobby, your organization? How do you determine what your passion is? It's what you spend money on. It's what you talk about. It's what you live for. And we all sit around in our churches on Sunday morning going, man, I want to be a champion for Christ. Can I ask you one thing? What are you passionate about? You see, I used to think you had to be old before you made a difference. I mean, I, I, I thought you had to just be around a long time, and at the end, you know, they give you the gold watch or something. But here, here's what I've realized. You make a difference by being passionate what you want to be passionate about right now. There, there's a book out called 20,000 Days and Counting. It's a great book. It's a small book. You can read it in one afternoon. It's uh, a guy was turning, I think it was 54. He realized he'd been uh, alive for 20,000 days and started writing this book. You can go online and see how many days you've been around. Some of us have been there a while, and others, you're just starting out, okay? But there was a story in there about a guy named um, William Borden. William Borden 
was a member of the Borden family. It's about 100 years ago, and uh, the Borden family, very wealthy. In fact, when, uh, when William graduated from high school, their, his parents gave him a trip around the world, all expenses paid. Our daughter graduated this past May. We gave her a camera. But anyway, she can, you know, it's a different socioeconomic status there. So, but it was on his trip around the world that he met Jesus, got infected with Jesus, came back, went to Yale University, got to Yale. He was head and shoulders above everyone else. He, he, had, a, he, he had a reason to live. And man, he was starting telling people about Jesus, started Bible studies. It is estimated by the time he graduated Yale University, over 1,000 college students were involved in Bible study on a weekly basis. Wouldn't that be awesome if we could have that happen today in your school? Just ask him. When he graduated, his parents said, you name your salary, give yourself a title, anything you want is yours. But he said God had called him to be a missionary. He wanted to get the, uh, the gospel to the Muslim nations, and so he went to a place called Egypt. He was in Cairo learning the language, and he, while he was there, he, he, uh, he, he there was uh, diagnosed with a terminal illness, and um, he, di he didn't even make it to 24 years of age. In fact, according to um, uh, the book, he lived 9,297 days. Most of us would say he was cut down in the prime of his life. Well, when he died, they shipped his possessions home. When their crate got there, they opened up the crate, and on top of the crate was his, was his Bible. He had never been without his Bible since the day he met Jesus. Parents opened up the Bible inside front cover. It had three life events, and out beside those life events had two statements. The first life event was when he got infected with Jesus. When Jesus changed his life, he had out beside it these words, No reserves. The second life event was when he turned down the, the, the family fortune to go into missions. Had out beside it two words, no retreat. The third life event was when he was found to be terminally ill and realized he was about to die. He had out beside it in his Bible marked down two words, no regret. No reserves, no retreat, no regret. I'm not going to ask you if you'd die for Jesus. I'm just going to ask you, would you live for him? Would you have in your life the marks of a champion? You know him. You glorify him. You don't give up. And let's be passionate about him. Not just on Champion Sunday. Not just in the FCA event. Not just on the ordinary Sunday morning, but every breath we take.